Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on a move. I'm Corey Johnson, and on September 21st, we have episode 100. And we've got a special episode here, an interesting one, you know, for a change. And we've got Quantum Scape, the battery maker that says it signed a second big automaker customer, but it won't say who. And a major home builder shows a litany of supply chain woes. You're going to want to hear this list. And an extra special guest for our 100th episode, Pledge 1%'s CEO, Amy Lesnick. Join us to talk about a new method of corporate giving. And yes, we are going to give away a little something on this episode. Guess how much? And while you're guessing, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And maybe this is your first episode of The Drill Down to listen to. Maybe it's your third. Maybe it's your first time around. We hope you keep coming back and listen to The Drill Down every day. That's easier if you click subscribe and follow us so you can catch every show. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down special 100th episode we will indeed explain the business stories behind Stocks and Move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, thank you. It's thank you. One out of a hundred times I'll be nice, and that's today. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, I'm not going to be that nice. <laughs> but uh, I really appreciate you, and I appreciate all you've done to help us get to this point with this show. A hundred episodes already. Amazing. It has been a lot of fun. What a fast journey it's been to a hundred episodes, too. Uh, very proud of it. And let's get to the news. Let's start with AutoNation. AutoNation has named Mike Manley, the former chief executive of Fiat Chrysler, as its new chief executive. AutoNation's current CEO, Mike Jackson, is retiring after running the company for most of the last 22 years. Now, uh, Manley, the new CEO, will start on November 1st. Now, AutoNation, as you may know, operates more than 300 dealerships across the U.S. Challenging time in the car industry without a lot of cars to sell, a lot of profits to go around. But I think things are going to get pretty interesting this next year in the auto business when supply comes back. Yeah. Number two, let's get to Zoom. Zoom's nearly $15 billion deal for 5.9 is under a U.S. government review over its ties to China. The Wall Street Journal reports that the Justice Department-led Team Telecom is looking into whether Zoom's China ties could make its acquisition of 5.9 a national security risk. Interesting to have them come back at this deal after uh, it was announced, you know, maybe months ago. Um, yeah. But this is a this is a tough uh, administration in the just, tough Justice Department looking at problems. With these, and there's no bigger concern in Washington internationally, I think, right now than China. Yeah. And let's get to Google. Google is buying a New York City office building for $2.1 billion. Now, this deal is the priciest sale of a U.S. office building since the pandemic began, of course. And it's one of the priciest in U.S. history, also, according to data company Real Capital Analytics. Um, 2.1 billion. Yeah. Do you know where this is? Yes, I do. It took me a minute to sort of figure it out. It's it's way downtown. You and I both lived in in New York. Wait, no, tell me where. You did live in New York. Remember when you lived in New York? Maybe I'm mistaken. You did. 
but you lived I believe in that's where you met me. We did meet at work in Brooklyn, uh, in, in uh, Manhattan. But so it was, it's way down in the village. Uh, it's a part of the village that people rarely, a lot of people rarely get to, which is to say it's south of, kind of south of Houston, north of, ah, know, yeah. uh, kind of spring, it's right about Spring Street, all the way on the west side on Washington Street, newly constructed building. Used to be a bunch of warehouses there. FedEx was over there. Um, it's a it's a big new building that they're building there. Not a huge one, but uh, um, it's an, like I said, it's, it used to be a pretty quiet neighbor. The Ear Inn, or you New Yorkers, it's been there forever. Is it near the IAC building? Yeah, it's it's a little bit south and west of that. Oh, gotcha. Uh, those warehouses also used to house a bunch of really fun clubs. Just well, not right there. No, no, no. It's further south than that. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes. Well, good for Google and good for New York City. 2.1 billion. It's it's interesting to see a company that is so aggressively embraced work from home still spending a fortune on office space. Well, it's always going to cost a fortune, right, to have these office buildings in New York. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's look at QuantumScape. QuantumScape. QuantumScape trades under QS. Shares rose 16% today, and they've gained 32% over the past 12 months. What's new with QuantumScape? As you said, big move in the stock today. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know if you looked at this company before. It's an interesting one. No revenues, no products, a $9 billion market cap. Well, uh, this is a company. It's a Silicon Valley. They, they like to call themselves a battery maker. I'm going to call them a battery project because they don't have any products yet. Uh, but they had partnered with uh, Volkswagen in a deal that I'm going to read. I'm going to read how they describe their old deal with Volkswagen. And they said that they've Volkswagen has invested or committed to invest subject in certain cases to certain closing conditions that have yet to be satisfied, a total of more than $300 million. Mm. Now, the shorthand most journalists use of that is Volkswagen's battery partner. But I read in certain cases to certain closing conditions that have not been satisfied. So Volkswagen's in this deal for about, from what I can tell, $203 million into a joint venture 50-50 partnership. Uh, it looks to me from my reading about the rest of the money has yet to come out, but Volkswagen uh, owns 26% of their class A stock. So they have definitely put some money forward, but the product isn't there yet. And there's been a lot of conference calls and they took the company public through a SPAC, uh, promising a lot of uh, production development. Again, Wait, aren't we supposed, when you mentioned SPACs, aren't we supposed to drink? Uh, no, I think the drinking game is when I mentioned ex-girlfriend. Oh God. Oh yeah. That's or digital strategy. If we say oh. digital transformation, another, there's all chances to drink. <laughs> the <Jordan> podcast. Please <laughs> don't. If you're listening while you're driving, you know, wait till right. you get home or just pull over to the side of the road. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and you, and if you've got an electric car, that is not go, good advice. Please do not take that advice. Okay, don't take my advice. Um, yeah. Wait, no, don't drink while you're driving. That's my advice. In any case, uh, this company does not have <laughs> products and yet it has this terrific market cap. And they have said in the past that um, they're going to try to sign other car makers to this 50, 50 uh, venture with, uh, with Volkswagen that again, Volkswagen is, is committed some money they have yet to pay because the company has yet to hit certain uh, standards. But uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, I, I was pretty surprised to see them announce this because only on the last conference call did this company say, we will not be announcing new partners. We're going to leave that up to our new partners whenever that day comes. And here they are announcing a new partnership. I want you to hear exactly the quote from the CEO, Jagdeep Singh. So on the production side, our plans are to go into pre-pilot production with our QS0 line in 2023, followed by commercial production in the 2024-25 timeframe. A long time. On the customer front, I'll say a couple things. Uh, one is inbound interest remains strong. 
Uh, and second, uh, uh, in fact, because demand appears to be higher than our near-term plan capacity, we actually won't be able to work with every prospective customer that's expressed interest. Uh, this allows us to be a little more strategic about which customers we choose to work with. And finally, I'll add that our policy is not to discuss customer deals until they're final. Uh, in addition, many OEMs consider their badly supplier decisions to be proprietary. Uh, so out of respect for them, we usually let them be the ones uh, that announce their partnerships. But in this case, they didn't wait for it. Only their second deal, and they went ahead and announced that they had a partnership. They just didn't tell us which one. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Lennar, the big home builder. Lennar trades under LEN. Shares have risen 28% in a year. What's new with Lennar? Lennar announcing earnings and announcing a slowdown in the number of houses that they built because of shocker supply chain issues. Like we've heard from so many companies, they did 600 homes less than they had guided for the quarter. Their guidance had been uh, 15,800 homes. So not a big percentage, but still, uh, you kind of want a company to do more than what the guidance is, not less than what the guidance is. They Especially said, um, nowadays. Well, sure. Uh, you know, exceed your, uh, you know, when you can set the bar, why not set a low one? They can't even hit that. It's worrisome. They're saying unprecedented supply chain problems. And they say it's going to go on for the, quote, foreseeable future. Now, they said demand is high. So the gross margins were up uh, 420 basis points to 27.3%. That's a nice gross margin for a home. Um, but they didn't add any new, uh, what they call communities, the places they're building houses, uh, flat year over year, because they just they haven't been able to sort of add land supply they're blaming permits and entitlements. Uh, and their guidance was is now for 18,000 homes. That's below the 20,000 where they had been. So they expect these problems, as I said, to continue. I thought it was interesting to hear CEO John Jaffe talk about all of the stuff that they can't get and how it's a, a game of whack-a-mole where they go from place to place to place where they have one problem somewhere else. It might create another problem in another place. Listen to this litany of supply chain problems. Let me give you a quick sense of where the greatest impacts are being felt right now. From national manufacturing perspective, the categories most impacted are engineered wood, windows, garage doors, paint, and vinyl siding. On a regional basis, it is brick and lumber capacity in Texas, concrete block in central Florida, insulation in north and southwest Florida, and in Phoenix and Minnesota, it's severe labor constraints. We believe we'll feel the effects of this backup for the next few quarters, and then, based on the plans we have in place with all of our trade partners, we would expect to see stabilization in our cycle times by Q2 of 2022. Q2 of 2022. And that just, you know, from everywhere they're doing business, they're having troubles and different kinds of troubles with supply chain. Corey, what is your next drill down? Isaac, finally we can talk about ball bearings. Let's look at RBC <laughs> bearings. <laughs> oh, Corey, your sense of humor is just like mine. Um, RBC bearings trades in a roll, R-O-L-L. Shares fell 11% today, and they've risen 65% in a year. What's going on with RBC bearings? Well, we talked earlier about a company that's got a $9 billion market cap and doesn't even have any product and doesn't even have any revenues. So why don't we talk about RBC bearings? which only has a $5 billion market cap, but it's got $609 million in sales trailing basis, 39% gross margins, 25% EBITDA margins. That's, I mean, this is a fantastically profitable business. So what's the catch? 
They sell stuff to airlines and they sell a lot of stuff to airlines. Uh, aerospace is 58% of the business. Now, industrial, which is like Caterpillar, um, Newport News, shipping, applied industrial, that's that's a big chunk of the earnings, about 40%, but about 60 or 58% last year was in fact aerospace and it was things like um, Department of Defense, Airbus, and yes, Boeing. Now you're wondering, Isaac, I know, first I know that you were hoping that we could someday do 100 episodes of this show and and finally talk about ball bearings, and we are, but the bearings that they sell in an airplane, there are so many places where bearings are put to work. Flight control, wings on the trailing edge for the flaps and spoilers, wings in the leading edge for the slats that are in the front of the plane, cockpit controls, interior seats and bins and latches and hinge points and landing gear and engine components and the doors, don't forget the doors, cargo and passenger doors. All of these things have custom built bearings. And the problem at Boeing, as we know, is that they had a plane that they couldn't sell for well over a year with safety problems. So they brought their numbers way down. And these guys have to manufacture um, a, a year in advance. They've got to buy the steel, which takes them, they said, 20 weeks. It can take them six, six months to build these bearings and get them to the customer. So they've got to spend a lot of money in advance. And they've been sitting on a lot of stuff. They haven't been able to get it out of inventory. And now they've got to start to build up inventory a year in advance of the rebuilding of the Boeing fleet that they expect to grow year after year after year. And so they've raised some money and they sold some more stock. And that's why the stock was down here today, uh, just for dilution, I guess. But uh, I think it shows that they've got to spend the money now to have the product on hand to sell it for the next few years as Boeing ramps up production. Now, the difference for them, the other problem for them is that the aftermarket for distributing these bearings has not been building up inventory. They've been taking it on the chin as well. So just when they should be building up inventory and buying from uh, from these guys, from, uh, from you know, from Roll, RBC Bearings, RBC Bearings isn't selling to these secondary aftermarket distributors who normally at this stage in the cycle are buyers. Well, all those companies or a lot of those companies got new owners and the new owners, according to RBC's CEO, uh, Michael Harnett, just don't understand the business and aren't buying when they should be buying. The, the, the aftermarket distribution side of the, of the business has been um, usually at this at this stage in the um, in the cycle, the distributors um, would be sort of loading up their inventories. I think he's sending an email Knowing while he's talking. Build rate increases were, were going to be substantial, and and the market would be um, uh, the buyers would be uh, pressed uh, with with um, service levels, um, and that's that would be normal at this at this stage in the cycle. What's not normal now is so many of the aftermarket distributors um, are owned by. Um, have new owners and new management teams, and um, they don't have experience. They don't have the experience in these cycles. So what they should be doing with their capital right now, they don't appear to be doing it. So I thought it was just who knew ball bearings so interesting. I knew it would be what a fascinating business. I could have told you that it was an interesting business. There we go. All right, coming up next, a very special guest for our 100th episode. We're talking with Amy Lestick, who runs this really interesting Silicon Valley charity called Pledge 1%.
You're going to want to hear about this, about how so many companies in Silicon Valley are changing the way charities uh, are funded through this Pledge 1%. We're going to talk to Amy Lesnick right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Indeed. When you pay for a job site, you should know what you're getting. So get Indeed and pay for quality candidates only candidates who have your must-have requirements. Don't just hope for a perfect candidate. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. With Indeed assessments, choose from 135 skill tests to help make sure that you're finding the applications from people with the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined and one and a half times more hires than even internal referrals. So join more than three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now. Drill Down listeners get $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade their job post at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. That's right, a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. That's Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down. As I told you, very special episode for us, number 100, and a very special guest. Amy Lesnick joins us right now as the CEO of Pledge. One percent, uh, and Amy, I'm glad to see you. It's good to hear your voice on the Drill Down podcast. What is Pledge One Percent? Hi, Corey. Well, first of all, thanks so much. We're we're so delighted to be celebrating your hundredth episode with you, and really excited to be here. Uh, Pledge One Percent is a global movement, uh, really to inspire, educate, and empower every company, matter of size and stage, to leverage its assets to be a force for good. So we provide a flexible framework for companies to leverage their time, their product, their profits, uh, their stock equity, um, as well as their voice and other assets to really tackle the most pressing issues and um, and really uh, resolve uh, the, the issues really facing our time. I think it's so interesting, this approach of the 1%, and we'll get to that in a second, but I think this idea um, of, of, I have always, you know, I was raised with the belief that charity is about your time and your talents and your treasures. And that, uh, that, a, that a full commitment to giving of your time and your talents and your treasures is a way to really fully, um, be involved in your community and, and to give and to truly give. You guys have put this 1% number on it. Um, tell me about how that came to be. Is it right that Salesforce and Atlassian kind of got this started? That's right, Corey. So the model was inspired by a model that Mark Benioff created when he started Salesforce. And that at the time was called the 111 model. So the idea at that time was 1% product, 1% time, 1% equity. And he he laid that down on day one before equity was worth anything, before there was even a product to, to sell or people It's to easy work. to give away 1% of your equity. Yeah, doesn't have any exactly. He just said, you know, this is the kind of company I want to build. Successful, innovative, but also a force for good. And I want to attract the kind of talent that, that um, agrees with that. And similarly, when Scott and Mike founded Atlassian, they based it on those same really core values and principles, and then they added the 1% of profit. Uh, so then fast forward to about six years ago, Mark and Scott uh, got together with some of the founders of Techstars, um, some, some VC visionaries, like um, some folks from Foundry and also Ron Conway. And they My friend Ron Conway. Yeah. My friend Ron Conway is the one who's 
he's been talking to me about this for a very long time and, and Mark has too. Yeah. Uh, and they, you know, they said, let's, let's make this a movement. And we grew really rapidly from about, you know, 500 companies to, to thousands of companies. Um, and it really, um, uh, helped companies move, not just from, you know, to take the pledge, but actually pledge to action and actually impact. Thousands of companies. And I'll, I'll, we'll save that number for our drill down bite at the end of the show, the exact number, but thousands of companies in a hundred countries. And you think you've given away over a billion dollars in, in this effort in pretty short time frame, what, probably less than 10 years, right? Yeah, so I will say that the, the, the movement overall has generated billions and billions of dollars of new philanthropy. We've ignited over a billion dollars just in the last year alone through the work wow. that we're doing, helping companies to set aside uh, their stock equity on their road to IPO. Um, so this is an interesting um, thing that we've been working on a lot lately, which is, uh, you know, I think a lot of companies were interested in doing the equity pledge, but a lot of late stage companies thought that they were too late to do it. And early stage companies thought they were too early and there were really no standards and people were creating it. And we thought, um, well, let's develop some standards and real models um, and case studies and a, and a real guide to do this. So uh, last year, we, um, after working with a great coalition of companies, um, CEOs and VCs from Twilio and DocuSign and Bessemer and, and whatnot, put together a definitive CEO playbook uh, for how to set aside your equity, uh, really mostly focusing on late stage unicorn companies on the route to IPO. And, um, and then we put together a companion guide for GCs and CFOs, literally down to the, you know, here's the language you put in your S1 and here's the right, right. resolution. That's the hard part. Yeah. And through it, I mean, we're, we're really seeing this become the norm. I mean, this year we've, you know, or in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, we've had, you know, um, Coinbase and Unity and UiPath and Airbnb, um, and, uh, and, and Slack and Marketa and DigitalOcean and, and so many of the top companies that we, you know, we love uh, sure. doing so well have all set aside um, equity. And increasingly, it's becoming just a regular part of IPO readiness uh, to make sure that you're thinking about how are you sustainably funding your ESG and social impact efforts for years to come. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a just jaw-dropping list in so many companies of very different sizes, very little companies and very big companies mentioned Unity and, and other ones that are just growing so fast in law firms and others. I think it's also interesting in that um, the ways that companies do this, the companies still kind of control where the money can go. Kind of like, so uh, for people who don't know what a donor advised fund is, it's basically you take appreciated something, put it into a fund at a given price, and then you can dole out those contributions over time to charities. This works kind of the same way, right? It, it ends up in a fund that the company controls, if, if at least the equity and, and, and profit piece of it, right? That's right. So Pledge One Person, as I mentioned, is really about empowering companies. So the money does not come through us. We're not the ones directing uh, what companies are spending it on. It's really about how are we helping these companies to create their own social impact funds or their own social impact volunteer programs or product donation programs or whatnot, uh, so that they can um, support the efforts um, and the causes that their uh, stakeholders care about most and where they feel like they can have the most impact. There's also the volunteer aspect for the, and, and to be clear, you you let companies, I mean, it's obviously a volunteer program, but the, the entire effort, but one of the things companies do is not just the equity, not just the profits and profits in Silicon Valley or sometimes oxymoronic, but 1% uh, but of company employees' time and you see this in very different ways. Uh, the, the folks at Salesforce, you see them out doing charitable stuff uh, during work time all over the city of San Francisco. 
Yeah, I mean, so the 1% uh, time uh, could be uh, a time off policy where companies give their employees anywhere from three to five days a year to uh, volunteer for whatever they want, or they could be on um, efforts that they do together as a group um, to, to really facilitate global volunteer days or action or whatnot. You know, we've seen a couple of really interesting changes um, in the volunteer or the time pledge just even over the last year. I mean, first of all, um, obviously a lot of the activities that were, when you see the people in the t-shirts on the streets, you don't see that anymore, kind of over the last year, right. everyone's kind of at home. So there's been kind of a rise of virtual volunteerism uh, and all these different activities that um, people can do either on their own or in groups kind of through more of a virtual setting. Uh, and we've also seen kind of a blurring of the lines. I think volunteerism used to be strictly, I'm going to go, you know, work specifically with a nonprofit, um, a certified 501c3, and I'm going to donate my time and I'm going to, you know, do some tutoring or scrub graffiti off a bridge and, exactly. and you know, exactly and, feed the homeless. Yeah. And now we're seeing, you know, civic engagement being part of that. We're seeing um, uh, employees that are helping teachers learn how to convert to do their classes over Zoom or help elderly who are kind of at the home. So I think there's kind of a blurring the line of what exactly is volunteerism moving forward. Um, it could be helping people. It could be civic engagement. It could be, um, you know, a, a certified 501c3. And it also um, could be virtual or in person. It could be alone or in a group. Uh, it could be people taking the time with their families. And I think it, it's been really interesting to see how that's evolving and how it will evolve with the future work moving forward. What has happened with companies that have been around for a while that have joined? I, I noticed Silicon Valley Bank um, has, is one of those companies that has always been very charity minded as far as I've known. But the, the, they've signed up for the 1% pledge long after their founding and, and their business is up and running. What does that look like? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that a lot of um, more mature companies like Silicon Valley Bank, uh, maybe you realize, hey, you know, we're, we're actually doing a lot of a lot of things. It's in all different departments all over the place. Like over here, we sponsor this and over here, we support this and over here, we, you know, engage our employees and maybe we'll do a little matching. Uh, but they hadn't really pulled it together under a consistent framework to say, no, this is all part of our, our pledge one program. And actually, if we add it all up, we actually are doing 1% of our income. Wow, that's really amazing. That's something that we could celebrate with our with our clients and with our um, uh, and our, our partners and our employees uh, and really um, pull it together in a more cohesive way. And then also Silicon Valley Bank is one of our pledge one builders, which means that um, they are also excited to be leaders in the movement and helping to inspire and empower other companies um, around the world uh, to also leverage their assets for good. And so as, as they've evolved their ESG um, principles, for instance, they've been you know, very great to kind of lead sessions and share their learnings and help other companies think through how do they develop their own roadmaps. And, and that's really what we like to see in Pledge 1%, this, this ethos of pledging it forward, not just what are you doing yourselves, but what are you doing right. to inspire and empower others. Have, can you give me examples of any things that, that you really struck you lately in, in sort of charitable actions, maybe even charitable actions with product that you've seen some of the companies under the Pledge 1% do? Yeah. Um, you know, Bob, um, a couple of things come to mind. I mean, one thing that's been pretty exciting, another trend that we've really seen is 
um, companies really coming together in a way that they hadn't before. And so when when COVID, you know, and, and this whole cascading list of crisis that hit us over the last like 18 months you know, started, we formed a coalition of companies that got together and initially in a matter of weeks ignited about $22 million um, for COVID relief. And then together tackled issues and shared best practices on how are we handling, you know, um, getting out to vote in a way that we make sure that it's it's equitable and safe access and how are we handling this broadening digital divide um this this mass acceleration digitization has been great for so many of our cloud companies but really really difficult for um for nonprofits or for individuals that don't have access so how are they tackling it together um or um most recently india um they raised about 30 million dollars for india um and uh and, and for other things so there's been a lot of really great collaboration uh, one of the product uh, pledges, I mean, a couple that I really love, um, you know, we're also seeing a blurring of lines of, you know, it used to be that your, your DEI efforts were over here and then your, you know, social impact efforts and then your, you know, environment sustainability efforts and everything was in silos and now it's all blurring together. And so, you know, one creative way that Yelp used their product to be a force for good was really um, breaking out black owned businesses or female owned businesses and, um, and leveraging that uh, as a way to kind of really showcase um, and, and bring more visibility and also to enable their customers to also be able to to, to, to take action and do something. Um, Postmates is another great example on the product side. Uh, they realized that they had, you know, they worked with tens of thousands of restaurants all who had excess food waste at the end of the day. Um, and they had a whole fleet of couriers who could actually deliver that and a whole technology platform that could do that matchmaking. And so through that process, they developed a program called Food Fight where they enabled um, their restaurants to, uh, to join this program and then to set a flag when they have excess food and then dispatched uh, one of their couriers to go pick up that food and deliver it to uh, nonprofit partners that would then distribute it. So great. And through that, I mean, wow. tens of thousands of tons of food. That's super yeah. cool. So I think, you know, it's not as cool as the animal house food yeah. fight, but it's really close. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's, there's really exciting ways that companies are either discounting or, or, um, or giving their product for free, which is amazing, but there's also some really creative ways that they're just leveraging their product in interesting ways as did, um, as did Yelp and, uh, and Postmates. And not to get too touchy feely about it. Uh, but I, I do think that participating in charitable good changes the people themselves. It changes the workers at these companies and probably makes these companies a little bit different internally. Yeah, I think so. We we like to say um, that that social impact and giving back is really not just the right thing to do. It's also the smart thing to do. So I think it's the right thing to do. I mean, clearly in light of COVID, I think we've all seen that business has a really important and vital role to play in really tackling these issues of our time. And companies really stepped up from everything from, you know, PPE procurement to, you know, food distribution to, you know, providing the technical infrastructure to enable schools and nonprofits to, to um, go digital um, and virtual and whatnot. Um, but it's also like, the smart thing to do. I mean, it, there's a great war for top talent and employees want to work for companies whose value are aligned with their own. And we see that again and again. So having these programs, um, setting aside equity or profit and really putting your money where your mouth is to kind of fund this in the long term, um, having robust volunteer programs and product programs uh, really helps to attract and retain great talent. 
we've seen it also has been really instrumental um, in, in partners. Um, we hear again and again from our, our member companies that the, the session they have on the nonprofit they supported is always like the top rated session at all of their user conferences because people like to hear about how their technology is like saving and changing lives. Um, and then ESG is here to stay. So, you know, it's it's really clear that stakeholders are, are demanding that companies um, are putting an eye to this and having plans and having goals and having metrics kind of around this. Um, and I think it's interesting, one change that we saw is that not only are companies getting that it's not only the right thing and the smart thing, but we're seeing VCs are getting that now too. And uh, um, yeah. and so more and more, I mean, just as employees can work for you know their choice of companies, I think a lot of top companies can choose who they want to accept funding from and who they want to be on their boards. And so they're looking for VCs that are, are values aligned as well. And um, we've been really fortunate to uh, to just this year launch a whole coalition of VCs that are, are very aligned in the movement um, around the board of allies. Which I'm well, I would like to take this moment. As you see, I'm placing my hand over. A Bi- Is this a Bible? I'm not sure if it's supposed <laughs> to be a Bible. I would like to make this pledge on the behalf of the Business Podcast Network. From now on, going forward, we are going to give 1% of our equity and 1% of our vast profits. Well, someday they will be vast profits. And as well as 1% of our time and product. And when I say product, what I'm committing to do right now on our 100th episode, this being one out of 100 episodes, is we're going to spend at least 1% of our episodes focusing on the charitable works uh, being done by the companies that we cover. We still want to tell the business stories behind Stocks on the Move, but there's plenty of room to talk about the charitable efforts of those companies. So I'm making that commitment to you and to the Pledge 1%. And I want to get the Business Podcast Network tile on that wonderful page you've got showing all of those thousands of companies who have pledged. Woo-hoo, I love so it. I think that's, that's make me do it. amazing. Woo-hoo. And I think uh, also just a great, a great chance to just really step out as a partner and a leader, um, really inspiring others. And um, so thank you. I'm really excited to work with you to, to help you to, to leverage. Your- we're all in. I mean, we're 1% in, but we're all in, all in on, on the, the 1%. Pledge 1%. Amy Lessick is the CEO of Pledge 1%. Amy, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. We are going to have the drill down bite. It is a number. It's bigger than one or 1%. We do the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. I'm going to tell you how many companies have pledged to pledge 1%. It's a very big number. It's very impressive. We'll have that right after this. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And help us out. Go to your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Tell the rest of the world what you like about the Drill Down Podcast. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bispod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Amy Lesnick tells us that the Pledge 1% pledge has garnered 15,000 pledges from 15,000 companies, just a ton of companies, Isaac, uh, and more and more. And I think that, I think it's important that you see, you know, Silicon Valley Bank and Fenwick, the law firm and Mm -hmm. the venture capitalists who've gotten involved here, because that's going to help a lot more companies feel like they have an imperative to do the the right thing and do the thing they want to do. Well, it's also great to see these great examples of charitable giving and hey, a billion dollars. Just this year. A billion yeah. Number. I wonder what it's going to be like December 31st, what that number is going to reach. More is the answer. 
Well, look, uh, I am overwhelmed with gratitude here in our 100th episode. Isaac Webster, thank you to you. Ben Wilson, our, our executive, our editor at Listen to me. Our editor extraordinaire. <laughs> I'm grateful to you. Yes. I'm grateful to our families. I'm grateful to our few investors who've helped us get to this point. Uh, yeah. I'm grateful to everybody that's really helped us out because it's taken a village, uh, and we're glad to have everybody's help. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. There we go.